Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Here we go, starting another week. Glad you are joining us and letting us be part of your day. Well, some parts of the country got some nice weather over the weekend, but more rain in the forecast this week. We're going to be talking about it with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. And where does where do we get the light at the end of this uh, tunnel of rain? We'll find out. Coming up on uh, today's program, see if Rice has any good news in the extended forecast for us. Looking forward to talking with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley today. Lots to talk about. Uh, the president tweeting about uh, upping the tariffs on China, and we've got an update on disaster aid and a number of other things coming up with Senator Grassley. We are counting down the days to June, and will we get E15 summer sales approved for the whole country? We'll talk about that with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. So lots to talk about to kick off a new week, and here to kind of set the stage for us is Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communications. Spencer, thanks for joining us. Never a dull moment. Uh, the president on Twitter makes sure of that, right? Yeah, I mean, I was really surprised by the commentary, but I think we were all kind of expecting uh, expecting something like that to happen, especially when there was such a close decision at the end of the Kentucky Derby. Uh, we kind of knew he was going to weigh in on Twitter on that subject, which, which I assume is what you're getting at here. Oh, of course, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> a lot of people talking about that, but also a lot of people now concerned, what about the, the China talks, as we're supposed to have another round this week here in Washington, D.C., the president upping the ante, uh, talked about increasing tariffs and that supposedly i guess his strategy is this gets china to uh, move towards getting an agreement others are concerned this might kill the deal Right, and the president has always tried to sell himself as the, you know, as the master deal maker in chief. You know, coming into office, that was his big play on the campaign trail, and that's been something he's really emphasized, you know, since he took office as well. And uh, you know, so this could probably be seen as a negotiating tactic on his part, but it's a negotiating tactic that uh, caused quite a bit of a downturn in the in the Chinese economy, as well as you know, domestic soybean prices and cotton prices have all have all gone down this morning as well. And there was actually some rumors, you know, as we were all uh, going to bed last night, that there was, you know, the potential the Chinese delegation might not even get on the plane and come to the United States for this next round of talks. And now we wake up this morning to uh, news from the from their ministry over in China that, uh, yes, there is a delegation still coming to the United States, but it remains to be seen if their top negotiator is going to be part of that delegation or if it's going to be a kind of a cadre of lower-level officials. And so I guess we'll have to see who gets off the plane here in Washington and who, who takes part in the discussions. But, but keep in mind, this is coming after a round of talks that uh, U.S. administration officials were calling very productive last week in Beijing. And there, there was the potential that a deal could be reached this week. And now there's, you know, there's all, all, kinds of other, all kinds of other issues complicating that matter now. It seems like every time we think we're really close to a deal, something comes up and kind of seems to push it further back. We'll see if this does or not. You know, the president has been talking a lot about the good economic news for the country last week. He's not really addressed the fact that the uh, the ag economy news is not as good. Right, and he, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of times when he talks about trade, you know, the one of the first things that he always talks about is, you know, the manufacturing and the steel side of things. But usually, you know, quickly thereafter, he talks about how this trade deal is going to be great for the farmers and it's going to be great for the ranchers. Well, there's a lot of farmers and ranchers that are not necessarily uh, not necessarily feeling good this morning if, they're, uh, if their commodity prices are going to be taking a tailspin as a, as a result of the president's Twitter account. And, yeah. Kind of what we're seeing, and obviously it'll you know it'll have to play out through the rest of the week, but uh, not not a good Monday for a lot of producers. This short-term pain for long-term gain, uh, that short term seems to get longer all the time. Yeah, short term has kind of turned into long term here. I don't think that was it necessarily sure their uh, their strategy going into this. Yeah, uh, we're talking with Spencer Chase with AgriPulse Communications. Spencer, what are you folks hearing about disaster aid? Well, we do know that there was some progress uh, in the Senate last week, toward the tail end of last week. Some of the uh, some of the lead negotiators from the Senate reported that they were they were getting there, but not there yet. And we also know that the House is going to vote this week on a disaster bill, uh, kind of a new a new piece of legislation. Uh, we do know that that includes a, a fix for the producers that uh, lost grain and grain bins in the in the Iowa and Nebraska flooding. Uh, the the details of that fix are still uh, still kind of up in the air at this point, or uh, I guess probably a better way to put it is they're not known to us. Uh, 
still still waiting on some of the specifics therein, but we do know that it's a, it's an issue that is addressed in the legislation, and we need to uh, we need to determine just how they they plan to address it, whether it's through the creation of a new USDA program or pulling some existing levers of the department. Uh, still still working on ascertaining that info. Yeah, we'll talk about that with Senator Grassley in a little bit. And one other story, Spencer, I really haven't spent a lot of time talking about this because when it first came up, and we're talking about relocating the Economic Research Service, and I understood why that was a big deal for those employees not wanting to move out of Washington, D.C. area and other part to other parts of the country. That's always a big issue. But I thought overall, if you weren't an employee, uh, would it be a big story? Well, now as this goes on and gets closer to moving around and they're picking sites, potential sites in, that it, they could move to, we're hearing about uh, people leaving the Economic Research Service. And when you start losing valuable people and experienced people, well, then it starts affecting everyone. It, it affects uh, the work of, uh, of the agency, and, and a lot of people are impacted. So it's becoming a bigger story. Right, and a lot of folks are really the kind of the crux of the matter here is that they're concerned about the quality of the product uh, being produced by the Economic Research Service really being impacted. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not to say that there aren't good qualified people in, in other parts of the country. It's not that, you know, it's not that the uh, Washington is somehow, you know, the only place where intellectual thought happens, but the, there are a lot of good qualified people working at ERS right now who maybe just wouldn't be interested in moving. And so, as, as you mentioned, you know, will there be a bit of a, a bit of a brain drain, you know, short-term, long-term, what, what have you, uh, should this move, you know, if and when this move happens, you know, that's something that uh, a lot of people are very concerned about because it's not just ERS, it's also uh, NIFA, you know, the National Institute of Food and Agriculture, which does a lot of, uh, you know, provides a lot of grants and impacts a lot or interacts a lot with the, the land-grant system. And there's, you know, some benefits to having uh, that, that outfit in Washington as well. And so now the, the department is getting you know, closer and closer to getting to actually name the location where they're going to move these agencies, uh, rolled out a, a list of finalists at the tail end of last week, and still, still some folks on Capitol Hill really expressing opposition to this move. And so it's, it's going to be an uphill battle for, for the departments to, to go through and make this move, but it's one that uh, Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue appears very intense on making. Yeah, potential sites include Kansas City, Places in Indiana, North Carolina, uh, runners-up included uh, St. Louis and uh, Madison, Wisconsin. So we will see uh, how that all plays out. All right, Spencer, should be another interesting week. Thanks for being with us. Never a dull moment. Thanks, Mike. All right, at Spencer Chase from AgriPulse Communications. Again, we're going to cover a lot of those areas a little bit later with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. Get his thoughts on uh, some of those issues, and also a little bit later on Brian Jennings. CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol will get his thoughts on not only will we get E15 approved by uh, June 1st, but also what about this idea of partial waivers uh, granted to the RFS by EPA. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But up next, the topic that so many are talking about, and we're all, I think about all of us wondering about the weather. We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson coming up next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Powerful, effective, proven, consistent, reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds. All backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, joining us from Fargo, North Dakota, Rusty Halverson, Farm Director for the American Ag Network, about Secretary Purdue coming to North Dakota, and Rusty was there to cover it. Thanks for joining us this morning. 
Rusty, um, what was the takeaway from the secretary's visit? Well, good morning, Mike. The secretary is in town to have a roundtable with leaders of the area commodity groups and also get a little preview of some technology that we're working on here in the Red River Valley in North Dakota. But the main takeaway from that roundtable, I think, Mike, was trade, trade, trade. Everybody's concerned about our negotiations on trade deals, not only with China, but also the EU and how they say they don't want ag as part of the talks. And there's some optimism about our talks with Japan and, and the potential that we have in that market. So mostly trade, but also obviously the weather too, Mike, was uh, heavy on many producers' minds. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Everyone responds differently to change. Some are frightened by it, some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Poet has always shared a true connection with farmers. And like farmers, we see the world differently. We're inspired by change. So when it comes to the challenge of climate change, we see opportunity to leave the planet we've been given just a little better. Biofuels, oil alternatives, nutrient-rich proteins, these solutions create cleaner air and a more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in magic, manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk weather with ETM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, I'm, I'm hoping for some good news later after this week, but let's focus first of all on this week about the rain, another round of rain coming in. Tell us how much and how widespread. Well, Mike, it is going to be a pretty tough week uh, for for getting uh, planting uh, done, and, and uh, I'm, I think that we're going to still see a very uneven uh, round of progress. Now, over the uh, northern uh, kind of fringe of the Corn Belt, uh, it is going to be drier, and we'll see rainfall totals of maybe uh, a quarter to locally a half an inch, and that's uh, mainly north of Interstate 90. But from Interstate 90 south, uh, from uh, central South Dakota, south-central Minnesota, and then on south, uh, we are going to see rains of anywhere from uh, one to uh, one and a half to possibly three inches, and maybe a little bit heavier than that, especially in kind of a uh, kind of a swath from about uh, central Kansas, uh, northeast to uh, northern Wisconsin, and that's uh, going to be pretty tough. Also, the Ohio Valley is going to get wet uh, with uh, two to even five inch rains, and the Delta is going to get in on the uh, rainfall as well uh, to very with uh, very heavy amounts, anywhere from three to seven inches. Uh, so that's where the uh, rainfall is going to be heaviest. Uh, the the eastern Midwest, uh, from central Illinois through uh, Indiana and Ohio, maybe we'll see no more than about uh, an inch or so of rainfall total, and uh, that's going to be very welcome, but it's already been so wet that I, I don't think that uh, that's going to do anything except uh, just keep the pressure on. 
and uh, I, I don't look for a whole lot of work to get done, even in those uh, uh, lighter, relatively speaking, areas, just because of how wet things are already. Yeah, a lot of those areas have water still standing in fields, and uh, we know the oh, yeah. river situation, uh, uh, this is going to add to uh, the flooding. So, uh, you know, it's, as you said, this is going to be another tough week. Now, here's the, the where I'm, I'm looking for some hope, a bright ray of sunshine. After this week, then do we start clearing up? The pattern is looking milder uh, next week, and that does include a drier trend. And, you know, we've talked about this for a couple weeks now, that uh, the week after Mother's Day was going to be the first real chance uh, that conditions were um, acting like to uh, be more seasonal and a little bit uh, less uh, active on the uh, rainfall front. And that is the way things are looking. Uh, Next week is looking drier. I, th- I still think it's going to be uh, kind of mixed on the temperature side of things, but there should be more of a chance for more of the Corn Belt to uh, see uh, chances for getting uh, planning taken care of. And I-, I just say more of the Corn Belt because it's not going to be a, a wide open, uh, you know, every everybody all of a sudden has uh, dry fields uh, you know, facing them, uh, you know, when they get up in the morning, uh, because uh, we know that that's not the way things are at all. But I do think that we're going to see better conditions over a wider percentage of the Corn Belt than we've uh, been seeing up to this point. Yeah, we we watch on Twitter. We see uh, stories and pictures of a farmer here, a farmer there, getting field work done. But as you said, we don't have that, uh, you know, everybody going and, pretty much at the same time and it doesn't sound like that's going to be the case because now we're going to have a situation when we do get the next week and some dry weather just you know how wet are those fields how long does it take them to dry out i mean it's going to still stretch out for a while well it is and and you know i i can envision that uh, a drier week next week is is truly going to mean uh you know that there still is waiting until uh, the week after next before work can get done and uh you know, we've been uh, saying here for quite a while that it looks like uh, it's going to be the last uh, two weeks of May uh, for a lot of uh, corn planting to get taken care of just because of how wet things are and the fact that uh, it does take a, uh, a fair amount of time uh, to get fields in shape and to uh, have the, you know, have the uh, soils dry out enough to be able to, to get the work done. And, and so I think that uh, we are still looking at that uh, type of scenario. It it still is is a uh, planning season that, to me, uh, is uh, very mindful of what happened six years ago in 2013. And in that year, uh, there was uh, some field work done, but there was a lot of work that did not get finished until right at the end of May and even into June. Now, when it was all said and done, uh, production was still you know, pretty decent, and I think that that's what we're looking at. So much to do. I mean, you know, we talk about planning, but there's so much uh, spraying to do and hydras to get on, just so many things uh, to get done. So everything's kind of on hold. Now, what about temperatures? Are we going to see, you know, along with the wet weather, we've had such cool weather for this time of year. Are we going to start seeing a warm-up? Uh, it's going to be kind of hard to come by, and I think, frankly, it's going to be on the on the real variable uh, type of uh, type of trend in, in that respect. Uh, next week, especially, is going to be drier, but uh, temperatures are still going to be on the cool side. We've got a a lot of uh, upper air uh, troughing that is going to be in place over most of the Midwest next week, and that is going to lead to a cooler pattern. Uh, it is going to be drier. So, you know, we'll take that. But temperatures are still going to be below normal. And, in fact, most of this week, for quite a bit of the north-central U.S., uh, temperatures are going to be running anywhere from 5 to 10 degrees below normal uh, during the daytime for the daytime highs. And, and today it is still cold enough that we're getting snow in parts of the Black Hills in South Dakota and then into uh, south-central Montana. So that's how cold things still are. And, uh, you know, that's not going to turn around real quickly. And, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's going to keep things uh, still on a, a kind of uh, delayed basis 
uh, when we think about drying, just because there's not going to be a whole lot of uh, warmth added to, uh, you know, kind of enhance the uh, the evaporation of the ground moisture. That's going to be still kind of tough to come by right now. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, I know long-range models, uh, uh, you know, can be, you know, uh, you hope they're accurate, but you don't know way, way out. So uh, I guess the question is, you know, we got a lot of questions. You get late planning, then it calls into big question and concern. You know, when does the hot weather hit for pollination and things like that? And a lot of people wondering, is this going to be one of those years where it just goes from from really cool to all of a sudden really hot and, and nothing, not not much in between? Uh, what are your longer range models showing? The uh, the summertime is is looking pretty much uh, near normal to maybe a little bit above normal uh, here over the Midwest, Mike, and and not a not a real quick uh, change to. Uh, just a pervasively hot pattern for a long period of time. And uh, I think that uh, the way the season is looking, and I've said this several times before, once planting is taken care of, I think the growing season is going to be pretty favorable. And uh, we don't have uh, an indication of a of a real, uh, you know, hot uh, condition shaping up for the Midwest. Now, there is one area of the country uh, where, where heat and, and dryness are going to be possibly an issue, and that would be in the southeast. We've seen a, a pretty uh, solid area of uh, standing high pressure already develop, you know, in Georgia, the Carolinas, maybe parts of Alabama. And right now the southeast is having a pretty favorable uh, scenario for getting field work taken care of. But as far as a drier area of the total uh, U.S. crop belt or U.S. crop country, it would be the southeast where things uh, may have a little bit of a drier trend this summer. But over the Midwest, the plains, it's not looking that way. And we know that obviously there's uh, going to be a pretty good supply of soil moisture to work with. And uh, that's no big surprise because of uh, how much precip we've had for a number of months now. I mean, going clear back to uh, last fall, it has uh, just pretty much continued on that track. So this could be a situation, slow start, but gets better as we go along, and maybe uh, we, you know, catch up or get, uh, you know, a better season ahead, which kind of will help us yeah. make up for this. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, uh, I, I'm not going to be, uh, you know, just wildly optimistic uh, regarding uh, yield prospects for this year because. We do know that, uh, let's see, I think that May 20th now yeah. uh, is considered to be the uh, late planting date, and yeah. we know uh, that there is a potential that increases for lower yields the closer you get to that and the greater percentage you have that's planted late. Yeah, we've kind of gone from looking at May 10 to May 20 now for that. All right, uh, thanks for the update, Bryce. Always appreciate it. You're welcome, Mike. All right, DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Up next, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. Lots to talk about with the senator. Stay with us here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. 
In the aftermath of President Trump's tweets on Sunday, in which he said the U.S. will raise tariffs on Chinese goods on Friday unless a trade deal is reached, the importance of this coming Friday now amplified, according to the Wire Talk. Traders already geared up for USDA's WASD report that's scheduled for release on Friday. Mr. Trump's weekend tweets surprising Chinese negotiators who are aiming to wrap up their trade talks in Washington this week. On Monday, China's state media said to be largely downplaying Mr. Trump's latest threats. On this Monday, soybean futures down for the seventh straight session, 12 of the last 14, trending 13 to 15 and a half cents lower an hour into the trading day. July soybeans down 15 cents at 827. November 849 down 15 and a quarter. July corn down seven and three quarters at 363 and a half. December 381 and three quarters down six. Chicago wheat July down a penny at 437. Kansas City July at four dollars and a quarter cent down a penny and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat July down three and a half at 511 and a half. Cotton futures, July contract down 210 points at 73.58. Live cattle futures nearby June is 25 cents higher at 113.67, but the back months 27 to 57 cents lower. Feeder cattle August down $1.17 at 145.22. Lean hog futures, June down $3 per hundredweight at 89.75. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow down 250. NASDAQ down 116, S&P down 36, June crude oil down 9 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. A powerful threat calls for a greater response. When there's a battle, bring strength. When there's a problem, seek answers. When there is doubt, give hope. Not tomorrow. Not in a few years. But right now. Some battles must be faced together. Cancer fighters stand up to cancer every day. You can be part of this battle, too. Visit StandUpToCancer.org to learn more. Together, we can save lives. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. We always look forward to our visits with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley, who joins us now. Senator, thank you for being with us. And, of course, the president has everybody talking uh, with his tweets about uh, possibly upping uh, the tariffs on China this week if uh, uh, a a deal is not reached. Now, uh, this evidently is his strategy to kind of force them in. But others are concerned it could uh, be a deal breaker. How do you view this? Well, until this weekend, I viewed everything that was going on through five meetings that we have had with uh, China. And Chinese are coming over here this week for a sixth round of meetings as everything was progressing even beyond my expectations and I didn't have high expectations of making a deal with uh, China uh, but uh, it was pretty good so now what the president knows that he wants to put tariffs on that I don't know I don't know whether there's a substantive problem with the negotiations or it's just the president's way of uh, tweaking them uh, and uh, tell them to speed up and and get things done. Because I was of the understanding that they'd be wrapped up this weekend when the Chinese come to Washington on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Also curious in that this follows so closely when after we started hearing last week about the possibility of more 
market mitigation payments, uh, trade aid, and even though the others in the administration administration said no, nothing planned as of yet, but just that there was the talk of that made people wonder, well, maybe that means we're not going to get a deal done with them or it's not as optimistic. And then now we get this news. It does make you wonder. Uh, I can't go beyond what I just told you because everything for the last month was going even beyond my expectations of what could be accomplished. And maybe it's not uh, the way you read it in the paper or listening to people. Uh, and I haven't had a face. Uh, on the negotiations, and uh, actually, I, I suppose you shouldn't believe too much you believe in the uh, in the newspapers because you, the old saying you don't negotiate in the papers. But still, I was feeling very optimistic. Yeah, well, you're right. Usually, you don't think of negotiating in public or in the media, but it seems like a lot of that's getting done, and and we'll see if it's effective or not. Hopefully, uh, we'll still get a a deal done soon. Now, meanwhile, you have had discussions with the president, especially with tariffs on Mexico and Canada. Obviously, the two of you have a difference of opinion on, on the use of tariffs. Not only me, but there were five other senators down there that had the same concerns about it my uh, conclusion that tariffs ought to go off because they were put on because Mexico and Canada wasn't negotiating. So the tariffs go on. They negotiate. The president says he has uh, something that is uh, very good in his opinion, and I agree with him. And then shouldn't the tariffs go off? The president says no because he's concerned about negotiations. Uh, or, I mean, he's concerned about transshipment of steel from China to Canada into the United States, and he wants to stop that. And I think it can be stopped in other ways than keeping the tariffs on. I think the uh, Canadians will make sure that we're protected from that standpoint. Uh, so anyway, the tariffs stay on. Uh, but uh, he's on the cusp of a big victory, and he ought to get it. And the advantage to agriculture is that the uh, uh uh, the uh, the tariffs that the Mexicans have put on our corn and uh, cheese and uh, and corn uh, no, and pork, I should say, uh, and they would go off. That would benefit American agriculture. We will get wheat, our good wheat into Canada for the first time. We'll get more of our dairy products into Canada. And so it's a win-win for agriculture. We ought to move ahead. And the farmer and the president should realize uh, that his uh, the, he loves the farmers, he says. I still think the farmers love the president. Uh, and uh, why not declare victory? But can I mean, I mean, when we look at it, we had great economic news for the country uh, last week. But if you look at the ag economy and we go back to the, uh, the election, it was uh, uh, a lot of talk about how agriculture, the farming community, helped get President Trump into the White House. You could say it's that segment of the economy that is uh, not doing well now and getting hurt the most. The first quarter was the biggest drop in prices in three years. Uh, so, uh, I believe that, that, uh, I believe if we got USMCA, uh, passed, that would help. If we get an agreement with China, that will definitely help. But I think, uh, I, it, by my saying that, I think it's going to take a lot of the anxiety that farmers have out. I don't know if it's going to put more money in their pockets, except to the extent we've been hurt by retaliatory uh, tariffs by other countries. When they go off, that will help a little bit. But don't forget, prices were low before the president got elected because of our overproduction. And that's still going to be bearing on the market. We're talking with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. Let's talk about USMCA. We've heard labor unions say they won't support it. We've heard Nancy Pelosi bring up uh, some issues uh, that can't be addressed in side letters or, you know, future action. It has to be done as part of the deal. Is this uh, just the normal give and take of this kind of a uh, uh, vote on a big deal like this? Or are these legitimate deal breakers that could keep it from passing? 
they're talking about going back to the negotiating table with Canada and Mexico, those countries aren't stupid enough to do it. Uh, and if we, if they're proposing that, then they're proposing that we won't have any credibility dealing with any country, including China right now, if we're on the cusp of a good agreement with China. So uh, if things by side letters or annexes to the agreement, uh, then I'm willing to sit down and, and talk to them. But so far, they've been able to hide behind the president, not taking the tariffs off, and so they really haven't had to put much on paper or sit down and negotiate. So my uh, argument with the president taking the tariffs off, uh, take the tariffs off and put the monkey on the back of, uh, of Pelosi uh, being the one holding to be accused of that because the president's not moving forward. All right, let's move on. Uh, some uh, media coverage last week on a tax extenders package, and uh, what is the status of that, especially for biodiesel? Are we going to get that through? Well, you're referring to a news conference that biodiesel industry had and several uh, bipartisan groups of senators and congressmen and congresswomen were there, and uh, we laid out uh, the fact that uh, that w- we need to get this done, and uh, there's 60,000 jobs on the line if we don't get it done. Normally, this stuff is done before uh, uh, April of every year. Uh, before tax filing season. It isn't done now, so time goes on and goes on. Uh, Wyden and I have put a bill in the uh, United States Senate calendar. It's out there for us to move forward on it, but you studied in government that all tax bills have to begin in the House of Representatives. So when is Pelosi going to decide to bring this up in the House of Representatives? So any of your listeners that can get a hold of their congressmen and congresswomen and uh, tell them to uh, uh, move ahead on this and and get the bill through the House so we can work on it in the Senate, uh, that's a necessary first step. And what about disaster aid? Are you any closer to getting something done there? I don't know, but I don't, until the last dollar spent on disaster aid, I don't know whether uh, one day or one week or, makes a difference. I'm sure one month is going to make a difference, but uh, we usually s- uh, supplement, uh, well, you know, at the beginning of fiscal year, we started out with X number of dollars in uh, for disaster, but you can never predict how much disasters you're going to have for the next 12 months, so you always have supplemental appropriation bills, and this is one example of a supplemental appropriation bill, but even if we pass this, uh, we don't have a total figure on the damage that's done from the Missouri River flooding uh, in Nebraska, Iowa, and Missouri, so we got to have more money down the road for that, and now we have this disaster in Davenport, Iowa, that we're going to have to uh, come up with some money, so there'll be yet another supplemental bill, even if we pass this one yesterday. Speaking of the flooding, real quick, uh, tell us your concerns with how the Army Corps of Engineers has handled uh, river management. Uh, they say that priority is their number one uh, concern, but the only time that flooding is their number one concern is when you have floods. Otherwise, when you aren't flooding, then prior, uh, flooding doesn't have any priority over commerce, environment, fish and wildlife, and recreation. And, uh, and until we get them of the state of mind that always, not only when it's flooding like this year, but every year, uh, it's gotta, it's gotta be their number one priority and should be maybe their only priority. And then you go to, uh, 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 the town meetings I've had in Missouri Valley, Iowa is an example of listen to the farmers that deal with it all the time. And quite frankly, the 2004 manual, 40 years before that, we never had any problems, so we've got to revise the manual. Senator, thanks for your time as always. We appreciate it. Goodbye. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley joining us here on AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, 
diesel that doesn't mess around. Okay, men, this is your time. Maybe you didn't choose this, but you're here now. You're gonna go out there and be an all-star caregiver. It's up to you. So what are you gonna do? You're gonna go grocery shopping, cook, clean, be there emotionally and physically. You gotta dig deeper. Drive them to physical therapy, doctor's appointments. Don't you forget about the pharmacy. No, you won't. Because that's what caregivers do. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. This is your time to show the world, your family, and yourself that you're tougher than tough. Now go out there and be the best caregiver this world has ever seen. Caregiving is tougher than tough. Find the care guides you need at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Want to reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes and stroke? Simple. Eat right. This is registered dietitian nutritionist Melissa Dobbins. A healthy diet can mean a healthier you. So eat a variety of proteins each week. Seafood, lean meat, poultry, beans, and nuts. Fill half your plate with fruits and vegetables at every meal. Choose foods that are lower in calories, fat, and sodium. Limit your alcohol and maintain a healthy weight. Let a registered dietitian nutritionist help you achieve your goals. Find one near you at eatright.org. People respond differently to change. Some are frightened by it. Some try to ignore it, and some are inspired by it. Those who spend their days tending to the land have a unique perspective on change. They see it up close every day, as one season fades into another, as a seed grows into a stalk, as a field of gold is spun out of the land, sun, and sky. Change is their livelihood. Since the beginning, Poet has shared a fundamental connection with farmers. And like farmers, we see the world differently. We are inspired by change. Climate change may be the most daunting challenge yet, but we believe it's not insurmountable. The same spirit of innovation that helped build a worldwide biofuels industry will help us tackle the environmental issues we're facing today together. Sustainable biofuels, oil alternatives, nutrient-rich proteins. These solutions create cleaner air and a more sustainable world. Get inspired with us. Visit Poet.com. Recently on Adams on Agriculture... Pete McClymouth's with us, Executive Vice President of the Nebraska Cattlemen's. Pete, last time we talked, you were still trying to get an assessment on uh, the losses and the situation. Now that you've had a little bit of time, uh, what can you tell us? Can you give us an update? We've heard some producers have been made whole if they've had a good insurance plan in place. And so if there's no reason for them to sign up for a livestock indemnity program funds via USDA we might have a really hard time knowing the number, but this could stretch into the middle of the summer when we get a good handle on it. So I'm not answering the question specifically, but I think given 1.94 million beef cows in our state, you know, and coupled with some other losses, I think it would be fair to say easily over 200, maybe 250,000. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. 
As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We're joined now by Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Brian, I look at the calendar. It is May 6th. June 1st is just around the corner. Are we going to get E15 approved? Oh, boy. I sure hope so, Mike. Uh, I'm hoping right now, as you and I speak, a team of EPA uh, officials are reading through all of the comments that were submitted to them at the end of April and getting ready to uh, to put the finishing touches on this rule by the end of the month. I, I, I'm going to be optimistic and hope it indeed will be the case. And then what happens legally? Does it it'll probably get challenged and will it be allowed if they have it to stay in place during the court proceedings or does an injunction get placed upon it? I guess we still don't know about that. We don't um, know how that will play out. I think you're right. There will be at least one legal challenge um, already the American Petroleum Institute has said as much. Um, I don't know for sure that uh, API or anyone else that would challenge this are going to be able to get uh, an injunction on the rule. Uh, you know, as you know, Mike, uh, and I think a lot of your listeners know this, E15 can be sold year-round in some parts of the country uh, that have reformulated gasoline. So the evaporative emissions or the RVP of that gas is already low, um, so adding ethanol doesn't do anything to change that. So it's not as if this doesn't happen anywhere in the country. I think it'd be hard for API to get an injunction, but I guess, honestly, I'm just speculating at, at this point. There are, you, ha- you have a number of lawsuits out there, the biofuels industry uh, pending out there. What's What's the status of those? Yeah, the third branch of government has become um, more and more of a focus of ours. There's several things in play. On the small refinery exemption um, issue, uh, we have two uh, sort of legal actions, one that is much further in the court than the other. The, the, the one that is further along is in the Tenth Circuit, which is based in Denver, and that challenges three very specific small refinery exemptions that were granted for 2016 and 2017, Mike. As you know, 54 total exemptions were granted. We couldn't challenge all of those, but we joined with RFA and the corn growers and others to challenge three of those. The legal briefs are being prepared as we speak, and we think oral arguments will begin in that case late summer. The other legal challenge regarding the small refinery exemptions is in the D.C. Circuit, and it's just based sort of in a blanket way, Mike, on the fact that EPA is not reallocating these gallons um, when they issue these waivers. And what we're waiting on right now is for EPA to respond to our request before we can proceed in court. It should be noted, under the Trump administration, no small refinery waiver has been rejected. Every single one that has been requested has either been accepted, approved, or withdrawn by the refinery itself, but but the Trump administration has not rejected any one of these. So what do you think about this uh, idea of partial waivers perhaps being granted in the future? I think it's, it's an interesting concept. So the Department of Energy scores these refinery waiver requests based on economic hardship, and then they provide that analysis, those scores, to the EPA to help inform EPA as they make a decision. And there's a theory out there that there's sort of two main criteria that the DOE looks at. And if um, a refinery gets a high enough score for economic hardship on one of the two, 
there's a theory that EPA could and should grant partial waivers, and to us that means probably a 50% waiver. So if a refinery was supposed to blend 200 million gallons of ethanol in a year, maybe they would only have to blend 100 million gallons of ethanol in a year. I don't know that the law necessarily allows for that, to be completely honest with you. And um, I think my cynical view of these partial exemptions, Mike, is that it, it looks like a political solution. It looks like, to me, it's a way to um, maybe make the ethanol industry less angry than they would be um, and, and to not give the oil industry everything they want. And, and I'm not sure that's the right solution here either, but um, it's certainly something that's been on the table, it sounds like, in the, in the recent days. I know, you know, the big talk right today is uh, the China talks and uh, the threat of uh, increased tariffs that the president has made. Uh, the possibility uh, is there that he'll allow them to go up uh, here at the end of the week if a deal is not struck. Uh, the ethanol industry has a lot at stake here, too, uh, because China could be such a huge market for ethanol and ethanol products. This makes me very nervous, Mike, because you're correct. China is a game-changing market opportunity for the U.S. ethanol industry. We know they want to go to E10 nationwide by 2020. That is just around the corner. We know that they're trying to ramp up their ability to produce ethanol within the borders of China, but that even if they meet pretty ambitious goals, they're going to probably need about 2 billion gallons, maybe more, of imported ethanol to meet that goal. And we are positioned, the United States is positioned to be uh, the primary supplier of, of that market. But uh, yeah, the, the, these, these continued um, discussions about additional tariffs or maybe, maybe the deal is going to be on, maybe the deal is going to be off, uh, certainly makes us nervous um, because w without that market, um, I'm not sure where we're gonna. I, I don't know. I don't know where we're gonna go with all of our supply. Yeah, hopefully we're gonna get good news on E15. But if some of these other things, the waivers and trade, aren't uh, taken care of, it's gonna really uh, uh, take away from the impact of E15 summer sales. I think that's right. And, and you know, E15 is going to be a game changer as well. But it's a long-term play. If we get this rule done by May 31st, we're going to see quite a few re retailers move to E15 this summer. But it's going to be just small gallons compared to the longer term. Yeah, a lot at play here of some big things uh, that will impact uh, ethanol moving forward. As always, Brian, thanks. Good to talk with you. Thanks, Mike. Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. Tomorrow, more on this China situation. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.